0: Wanna take a moment to welcome all of our locations that are tuning in our online and television audience. We are so glad that you are with us to hear a word from God. Let's go ahead and hold our Bibles up and all at the same time make this declaration of our faith. Ready? Go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ, therefore I will hide his word in my heart so I can be All that God has destined me to be, amen and amen. Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? We are going to Exodus chapter number 17, Exodus chapter number 17. If you can't find the book of Exodus, you need to come out to midweek Bible study, second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, real easy to find. Exodus chapter number 17, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 8. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites, the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. Today, I want to glean from one of the Bible's absolute greats, none other than the venerated and celebrated hero of Israel, Moses. In this message that I've entitled, Staying Power, How many of you know sometimes in a fight, it's it's not who's the strongest that wins. It's who lasts the longest that wins. Can you say amen? And so I want to talk to you about staying power in our series, Great Prayers. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word right now. Thank you that in your word is power, in your word is might, in your word is the food that we need to feed our souls and our spirits so that we can become everything that you designed us to be. We give you all the praise in the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, you may be seated. As we come to our text, we find really so many powerful truths about prayer, and by way of introduction, I want to set the stage by sharing just a few. First of all, prayer is how we fight our battles. Notice what Moses says. He said you go down on the battlefield and I'll go up to the hill or the top of the mountain with the staff of God in my hand. He was saying, I'm going to go pray while you go and fight. And prayer is how we fight our battles. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3, the Bible says, uh for though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. For the weapons of our warfare are are not of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish Strongholds. In other words, we don't fight like the world fights. The world fights tit for tat. The world fights you do me wrong, I do you wrong. The world fights on social media. The world fights on the street. The world fights with their fists. The world fights with all of those different ways. We don't fight that way as Christians. We may fight with our hands, but our hands are in a different position than fists up. Our hands are in this position. And some people may think that's the sign of the karate kid, but that's the sign of how you and I communicate with our father and how we call on him and ask him to intervene in our situation. Prayer is how you and I fight. It is our greatest position of strength. Contrary to popular belief, it is not a position of weakness. It is a sign of our submission, not to our circumstance, but to our heavenly father. It is a sign of our surrender to him and not a surrender to what is happening around us where we access him and invite him to intervene in our situation. Prayer is how we fight our battles. Prayer is how we bring God into active aid. Prayer is how we wage war. Moses says, you go on the battlefield to fight with the Amalekites, I'm going to the top of the mountain because i got to cover this thing in prayer. It's like the old song we used to sing in church. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs, uh, our sins and griefs, to him we give to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to god in prayer oh what pain we needless suffer all because we do not carry everything to god in prayer how many times do we miss out because we're not fighting the right way how many times do we lose because we're not inviting god to intervene without prayer second point without prayer sometimes you can't win Without prayer, sometimes you can't win. I was going to say without prayer you can't win, but I understand that God sometimes in his mercy does it for us anyway. But without prayer, sometimes you cannot win. Some have mistakenly believed that whatever God wants to happen always happens. Whatever God wants to happen always happens. Their theology breaks down a little bit when you talk about abortion. Their theology breaks down a little bit when you talk about same-sex marriage. You know, everything that God wants to happen always happens. Well, if that theology were true, then everything that's transpiring every single time is always the will of God. And we know that there's many things that happen that are not the will of God. But some have mistakenly believed that what God wants always happens. And, and that if it's the will of God, it will happen. If it's not the will of God, it won't happen. Yet here stands this story in Scripture. God's will is clear in this story. He wants Israel to prevail. He wants Israel to win the battle, that his chosen people would prevail in war, and yet it was only when Moses lifts up his hands in prayer that Israel wins, and when Moses puts his hands down, the will of God seems to be stymied when Moses does not pray, so in another way, God's will and God's intervention in our lives is wrought in prayer, Peter was sinking even though Jesus was right there, and it wasn't until Peter called out and said, Lord save me, that Jesus' reached down his hand and pulled him up Jesus was walking away from the woman with the issue of blood and it wasn't until she touched the hem of his garment that she was made whole we see example after example blind Bartimaeus was blind even though Jesus was in shouting distance Jesus was walking by and yet his eyes stayed dim until he called out to Jesus because when we call on his name how many of you know that's when God intervenes in our life the late great John Wesley, the great revivalist, he said this, it seems like God can do nothing unless we pray. Not that God is powerless to intervene, but rather that God in his sovereignty has limited his intervention to our invitation. Prayer then is earthly license for heavenly intervention. Heaven is waiting on earth for an invitation. Asking is the providential prerequisite for it being given. Calling onto him is the providential prerequisite for him and Prayer is the providential prerequisite for prevailing. When Moses' hands were up, Israel was winning. When Moses' hands were down, Israel was losing. Hands up, everybody. Hands up. I don't really mean that right now. I'm just trying to tell you that a lot of times we are losing where we should be winning simply because our hands are not positioned in the right place. The third thing I want you to see about prayer by way of introduction is prayer is how we strike from the air. Exodus chapter 17 verse 9. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. I'll go to stand on the top of the hill. Joshua, you'll go to fight in the valley. You go to fight on the ground, I'll fight from the air. Prayer is how we drop bombs on the enemy. Prayer is how we hit the enemy from afar off. Prayer is how we strike the enemy from far away. So he is too weak to win when he gets close. Matter of fact... In Ephesians chapter 6, if you read and are familiar with that passage of scripture, where the apostle Paul is in prison, he's being guarded by a Roman guard, and God gives him a revelation while he's in prison of the spiritual armor. As an aside, just let me tell you, keep your heart and ears open whenever you seem like you're losing, because that's oftentimes when God will give you revelation. Paul was in prison, and while he was in prison, he receives revelation. Oftentimes, when we're trapped, we need revelation in order to get unstuck from the situation. Often, it is the wisdom of God that we are lacking in a specific situation that keeps us bound. And so, we got to constantly keep our heart and our ears open, no matter what it looks like, because God is always wanting to give us the wisdom that we need in order to prevail. And so, the apostle Paul is in prison. And there he's watching as a Roman guard is guarding him and making sure he doesn't get away. And and sure enough, as he's there, he's looking at the armor on the Roman soldier. And And God begins to talk to him about our spiritual armor. And if you read through it all and you know the armor of a Roman soldier, you know that Paul missed one or seemingly missed one piece of spiritual armor. The lance. The lance of a Roman soldier was a spear type of weapon that he would throw from over here to way over there. And the reason why he would throw is because he would want to hurt or uh, knock out some of the enemy before the enemy got close enough to engage him in hand-to-hand battle. And it almost seems like the Apostle Paul missed that piece of armor, except if you read all the way through the spiritual armor, Paul wraps up his discussion of it by saying this in Ephesians 6 and 18. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so Paul says, I can't leave the subject of warfare before I move move on from this mighty spiritual weapon that God has made available to us before I remind you to pray with all kinds of prayer. Because prayer is how we strike the enemy from a distance. Prayer is how we drop bombs on the enemy before we even know that there is an assignment that has been placed against us and we weaken the enemy so that way when we are aware of his plans that we are already in a position to win. See when you don't pray a lot of times you're losing in areas you should be winning in and despite the fact that we have this weapon at our disposal. Despite this mighty weapon called prayer, there is one factor that threatens to ground these airstrikes and make impotent the unstoppable weapon of prayer, and that is time. Time by itself is a neutral force. It can work for you. It can work against you. Time, they say, heals all wounds. That's a positive of time. But then if you flip it, there wasn't enough time to save them and it becomes a negative. T- time by itself is a neutral force. It can be both positive and negative. However, when it comes to our prayer life and the battles we encounter, time can destroy our faith. When the battle rages long, when the answer doesn't come quickly, when the circumstances get worse, when a setback happens, when the turnaround is not swift, time begins to test our trust in God. And as the scripture says in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when our hope is hurt, our faith becomes compromised because faith is the substance of things hoped for. Without hope or trust in God, when our hope or trust in God is is tainted, our faith becomes tattered. But let me remind you that God is not bound by our time. God lives outside of time. Matter of fact, one of the things I always like to bring out about prayer is prayer actually gives you more time. See, how does prayer give me more time, God? Well, we might look at it in the scripture. Remember when Joshua prayed for God to cause the sun to stand still? That's a a real life example of how prayer gives you more time. But prayer gives you more time because in prayer you travel, if you will, and I know this is just metaphorical, but you travel toward God who is light, right? So God lives, we all know that, that when you cross over The sound barrier, right? You enter into a timeless existence. The closer you get to light, Einstein's theory of relativity, time begins to slow down. And so when you pray, what it does for you is it actually increases your time capacity or what you can do and how effective you can be in the same amount of time that is given to everybody else. But time is something that can bombard or try or test our faith. God, however, is not bound by that time. We know that. The story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They wanted Jesus to come quickly. Jesus got word, and the Bible says he intentionally waited two more days. Why? They were thinking, he's got to get here. He's got to get here quick. He's got to get here before three days are up. See, the Jews believed that once three days were passed, that the spirit of man would leave the body of man. It would be impossible for the spirit to return to the body. And so resurrection would no longer be an option. And so what they wanted Jesus to do is get there quick, to get there before he was dead, and specifically before he was dead for a long time. Jesus waited two extra days knowing that it would take him, therefore, four days to get there. And by that time, everybody would say, a resurrection is impossible. But that's exactly why Jesus waited because Jesus wants you to understand that God is not bound by time. God doesn't have to operate on our level. God can supersede anything that we think is impossible because all things are always possible with God. Nevertheless, time troubles us. Time tests our faith. And every Bible great, a lot of Bible greats were tested by time. David said, how long go God? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Abraham and Sarah laughed in the face of God when God said he would give them a child in their old age. Because time was ticking. Elijah, after enduring three years of a famine and a huge battle against the prophets of Baal, calls down fire from heaven and Jezebel still wants to fight. And because Jezebel still wants to fight, Elijah is fight fatigued and he runs for his life, so to speak. And he. Hides in a cave and he begs God that he would die. Why? Time was testing him. The battle just kept going. There was no reprieve. There is no shame in being fight-fatigued. Everybody gets fight-fatigued. Everybody gets tired. In our scripture, as long as Moses' hands were held up or were up, Israel was winning. But when he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, Moses, the venerated, the celebrated hero of Israel, he got tired. There's no shame in that. Matter of fact, the Bible even tells us when you've done all to stand. When you've done all to stand. In other words, I've, I've done everything that I possibly can. Nothing else is working. What do I do now? Stand there for. Don't don't get tired, don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. In Hebrews, uh, the Bible says, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Faith and patience. Patience is not one's ability to withstand getting agitated. That's what most people think patience is. You know, one's ability to to withstand being agitated. That's not what Bible patience is. Bible patience is more like staying power, staying power. And by the way, if you look at this scripture together in the original language, faith is a very masculine term. You know how how nouns and verbs and they can be categorized masculine and feminine and all that kind of stuff in language. Well, faith is a very masculine term in the original language and patience is a very feminine term in the original language and what God is trying to tell us is in order to give birth to the promise of God you need both the masculine and the feminine. Faith and patience or staying power. Said another way, strong faith, listen to me carefully, is long faith. Let me, let me say it again. Strong faith is long faith. It is faith that still trusts no matter how strong and how long the child is. Strong faith does not describe the size of faith, but the length of faith. Did you get that? This is, this is good stuff right here. Because most people don't understand that. Most people think that their faith needs to get larger when their faith just needs to get longer. Did you hear what I just said? And, I, and I'll prove it to you. In Luke chapter number 17, the disciples listen to the conversation, come to Jesus, and they say, Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed. How many of you know that's not large faith? How many of you know that you can't even hardly see a mustard seed? If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled by the roots and be planted into the sea and it would obey you. In other words, Jesus is telling them in answer to their question, increase our faith, that you don't need longer faith, you don't need stronger faith, you need longer faith. You don't need faith that is bigger in size, you need big faith that is bigger in staying power. Peter, had faith to walk on water. But he only had faith that could take a few steps. He began to sink, and what did Jesus say? Jesus said, how is it that you have such little faith? Wait a second, Jesus, he just walked on water. I don't know about you, y'all, but that's big faith to me. I don't know no other person that's ever walked on water, no other human being. Jesus did. Peter did. I don't know of anybody else that did. Anybody else that tried to go through water, God had to make a road in the ocean. They they just couldn't walk on the top of it, but Peter took some steps, but yet Jesus said you have little faith because little faith is faith that is not strong enough to last long. It's strong enough to take a few steps, but it's not strong enough for the entire journey. You don't need more faith, you need longer lasting faith back to our text we come to our text and we see that Moses is getting tired you and I were getting tired we pray and we're in a battle and it doesn't go away quick and the answer doesn't turn around quick and what most people do is they throw in the towel, most people say whatever will be will be one of the tricks of the enemy is to stretch out the fight One of the tricks of the enemy is to stretch out the fight. Some of you are good one-round fighters. And as long as the enemy ducks and weaves and moves a little bit, then he knows he's got you because you're going to wear yourself out. You come out swinging hard and heavy. you got nothing left after round one. And because you got nothing left after round one, you quit on the fight and you don't receive what God has promised and you blame it on the will of God. Hello? It's because your faith has not been long enough. It's not stood. So how do we develop staying power? Most fights are won not by who is the strongest but who lasts the longest. How do we develop staying power? Well, when we come to our text we find out that the Amalekites decide that they are going to attack Israel. Who is the Amalekites well they were known to use sorcery they were known to use incantations and magic and all of that kind of stuff and they were known to attack the weak namely the women and the children in other words they were demonically inspired. This is important because Moses knows this, that he's dealing with not just a natural enemy, but also with a spiritual enemy. And so he employs a spiritual strategy. By the way, I want you to know, I want to remind you of what the Bible says about our fight. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. That means I'm not just in a natural fight. I am in a spiritual fight. And you cannot fight a spiritual fight with only natural weapons. In order to win a spiritual fight, you must employ spiritual weapons. And Moses knows this. And so they decide that they are going to attack Israel, and Moses says, I need to go and deal with the root of the problem so I can experience the fruit of the breakthrough. See, some people never experience the fruit of breakthrough because they don't deal with the root of the problem. And he decides to attack them at Rephidim. And Rephidim was an oasis between the wilderness of sin, which they just got out of, and that they came through And Mount Sinai where they were heading to Mount Sinai was the place where God Would make them into a nation Where God would give them laws Where God would, uh, how to operate and how to govern That's where they got the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai was the place where they Became a nation, where these slaves Who had their identity stripped from them And didn't know who they were Were now going to become everything That God destined them to be They were going to become the people of God When they got to Mount Sinai, and so so in between the place where they were leaving and the place that they were going to the enemy decides to attack can I just push the pause button for a moment and remind you that oftentimes it's between what you left and what God has for you where the enemy will show up in your life to stop you from becoming everything God has destined you to be and so as we come to this place we find several principles that Moses employs in order to have staying power and win the fight. Number one, and I'm going to give them to you in reverse order of how they appear in the text. Number one, enlist prayer partners. Verse number 12 says, Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other side, so that his hands remain steady till sunset. Everybody needs help along the way. Getting emotionally tired is being part of human. We can all relate to that feeling of, I just can't do it anymore. I just don't want to fight anymore. The emotional indifference to the outcome as a result of not being willing to invest any more energy in the circumstance. Has anybody ever been there before? That's it, I don't care anymore. It's not worth it. Not worth my time. Not worth my effort. Not worth my fight. Not worth my peace. Not worth any of that. I, I don't care, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. People do this in marriage all the time. I'm done, I, I've tried, done everything I can, I'm done, I, I can't, it's, it's, it's hurting me now, their emotional energy gets straight, they become tired, but God has an answer for our tired, it's called together, in Genesis, after God creates everything that he created, we know what he says, right, after everything God created, he said it's good, which is, which is interesting to me, because a lot of times people try to blame bad on God, but yet God didn't create anything in Genesis and go, that's bad. In fact, everything God created, God just wanted us to know, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. good." The Bible says, every good and perfect gift. Don't get it twisted now. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In other words, God said, I'm good and I'm not changing. Somebody just just missed it, went right over your head spiritually. God looks at everything he's created. He says, it's good, it's good, it's good. He creates man, right? He ups it to Now, that's very good. But then there's one thing that stands out like a sore thumb in the middle of the text of creation, and it's the first time God says it's not good, and you know what it says. And God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. God got it right from the beginning. Everybody needs help along the way, because sometimes situations are too much to take on alone. Sometimes the toll is too heavy. Sometimes the weight is overbearing. Sometimes the pressure exceeds what is humanly healthy to bear. Even Jesus felt the weight of circumstances and wanted people to pray with him. And he said to his disciples, to three of them specifically, Peter, James, and John. He always took Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter, rock. James, law. John, Grace. Why Peter, James, and John? Because Jesus wanted us to know He came to replace the law with grace. He said, Peter, James, and John, can you pray with me just a little while? Can you watch him pray? And yet they fell asleep. And even while He was being tested and tried, even though He was able to prevail on His own, Jesus didn't want to go at it alone. He wanted some help along the way. Scripture plainly tells us in Galatians chapter six, verse number two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We can learn a lesson from the geese. You ever see the geese, how they fly? V formation, right? You know why they fly in V formation? Because they want to cut the wind. Because it's easy to fly when you cut the wind. Just like in race car driving, right? If you get behind the lead, car you can draft in other words you don't even have to put your foot on the gas you can just get caught up in the wind of the lead car or in the vacuum of the lead car and it just propels you and so the geese they fly in a v formation to cut the wind but do you know which goose i think that's the singular of geese right goose which goose gets the most wind the goose at the front and you know what the geese do as they fly long distances? The lead goose eventually goes back to the back and another goose steps to the front. And do you know why? Because that goose is tired and cannot handle that wind anymore in order for the flight to be successful. And so they got to rotate back. See, sometimes in life, you've gotten so much wind coming against you that you need somebody else to rotate up and take on a little. Bit of the burden so that you can continue to fight. Sometimes you need other people around you. That's why it's so important that you pick your friends, your spouse, you're in a circle circumspectly. So many people pick so so just poorly. I was gonna say stupidly, but I know you shouldn't say stupid in church, and so I said poorly. Some people think, "Wow, well, ah, I'm going to pick that spouse right there because they handsome." Handsome will make you happy for a minute. Ah, I'm going to pick them because they're just so beautiful. Beauty fades. I'm going to pick them because they're really wealthy. And, and wealthy will buy you some good stuff for a little minute. minute take some of the pressure off. But here's what I know. When everything, when the wind is coming against us in life, it's not handsome that does the trick. It's not beautiful that does the trick. It's not even money that does the trick. What it is is somebody who knows the ways and the word of God. Somebody who can grab hold of the horns of the altar. Somebody that says, step back for a minute. Let me intercede for you. Let me pr- pr- preach the word over you. Let me prophesy over you. Over you. Let me take hold of God for you for this moment. Let me hold up your hands. In order to have staying power, we need to realize that we need to pick our prayer partners wisely. But number two, in order to have staying power, you must put a stone under you. Exodus chapter 17, verse 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. What is the stone? The stone is symbolic of the word of God. Say, why do you say that, Pastor? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. The sayings are the rock. The words are the rock. If you're going to build your life on anything, it needs to be on the sayings of Jesus and on the word of Jesus. That is the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it. It was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine does not do them. We'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Your foundation, your rock, what you take your stand on, what gives you staying power in every storm are the words of Jesus. The storm is going to come. Storms. Some storms are going to stay for a minute it's going to rain. The winds are going to blow. Your house is sometimes going to get beat against. But if you have a stone under you, if your foundation, if where you're standing is on the word of God, the staying power, how many of you know there is staying power in the word of God? The word of God's staying power will get off and over on you. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will stand forever. There is staying power in the word of God and that will get on you if that becomes your foundation. Well pastor how do I do that? You get some promises from the word of God. People who pray without promises never get answers. People who pray without promises never get answers. God is not obligated to do for you anything that he hasn't promised in his word. But if he has promised in his word he has bound himself to fulfill his promise. I didn't say you can strong arm God into it. I said God has bound himself. He said, I watch over my word waiting to perform it in your life. He said, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Jesus said, if you pray according to my will, you know that I hear you. And if you know that I hear you, you know that you have the petitions that you asked of me. What's he talking about? His will is his word. People are, what is the will of God? I don't understand the will of God. And then you got ignoramuses who are always throwing. if it be your will. At the end of a prayer, the word of God is the will of God. Take time to find out what God said is yours. To what God has promised to you. Make that your foundation. Get you two or three scriptures. That promise you those. Make your stand on those scriptures. Keep them before your eyes day and night. Meditate on them all of the time. Talk about them when you get up and when you lie down and everything in between. Do not keep your eyes off of what the Word of God has to say. When did Peter sink? It's when he got his eyes off of the Living Word. Jesus, when you get your eyes off of the Word, you're going down. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You walk on water. I love to tell the story when I visited the San Diego Zoo and I learned about how giraffes give birth. Some of y'all remember this story. They give birth standing up. I mean that's a rude awakening, right? Because giraffes are tall there. When the baby comes out it's like, you know, four or five feet above the ground. That baby is dropping. There it is, right? They give birth to the baby And the baby with the spiny little legs, right, it it struggles, the the mother is nudging it with with its nose to get up and the baby finally gets up and in this moment of splendor and majesty, the baby awkwardly takes a few steps. And you think, oh, that was beautiful. And all of a sudden, the mother just turns around and goes, bam! And the baby goes flying and falls back down again. And you're thinking, what in the world is going on here? Could you imagine that? like we did that to our kids? <laughs> and then nudges it up, and the baby is awkwardly walking again. And you'd think, all right, I maybe mean, that was a mistake. Maybe this was a crazy mama. You know, sometimes you got crazy mamas in your life. If you got a crazy mama in your life, you better run, right? But sure enough, bam! Overflows. And this process goes on. Until that baby not only takes steps but takes strong steps and is walking around and there's no more uh, 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 wobbliness in the day. Why? Because in the jungle, the advantage of the giraffe is that it's Kareem Abdul giraffe. It is the largest animal in the jungle. And when it lays down, when it no longer stands up, it loses its advantage. Can I tell you what your advantage is? Your advantage is the word of God. And when you make your stand on anything else, you are laying down spiritually. But when you will stand up on the word of God, you become strong in Christ. Put a stone underneath you. Number three, number three. The third principle of staying power is do what you know to do naturally. Notice what Moses said to Joshua. He said, Joshua, you're going to choose some men and, and then go down and fight and take the swords with you and I'll go up on top of the hill and I'll fight with my hands. James tells us something interesting about faith. Faith likes to have multiple partners. Faith does. We know that we cannot be saved without a partner of faith. By grace, you're saved. Through faith, it's not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. You inherit the promises of God by faith and patience. Two partners so far. But then there is this third partner that faith must have in order for faith to be effective. And it's called works. Or better put, corresponding actions. James chapter 2 verse number 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If faith doesn't have corresponding actions, translation, it won't work. Yet there are countless amounts of people who pray, but yet never obey what God has asked them to do in the word of God, do not receive a promise from God and say, well, that wasn't the will of God. You, my God. How we lie on God like that all the time. Faith without works is dead. doesn't produce. Here's what that means. That means if God told us to do something and we don't do it, it will stifle our faith from working. It will stifle it. It will short circuit. Actually, the word dead means to stop what was intended to happen. To stop what was intended to happen. So if I have a financial need, and the offering is over so you can relax, but I refuse to tithe, how can I expect God to supernaturally meet my need? Not doing what God said. I'm stopping what God intended, which is the windows of heaven to be open wide over me and his blessings to be poured out so there's not room enough to receive. That means if I am praying for God to restore my marriage, but yet I will not stop responding tit for tat or will not forgive, how can I expect God to restore my marriage when God said, do this. In other words, the proof of our faith is the actions that we do. If we don't believe God, we will not do what God has said. But the proof that we believe God is when we actually obey what God said. If we believe God, we will stretch our rod toward the ocean and we will believe he's going to part the Red Sea. If we believe God, we will take five small, smooth stones from the brook because we believe God is going to take out the giant. But if we don't believe God, we won't stretch our rod, we won't pick up our stones, we won't bring our tithe, we won't forgive, we won't come to the... We won't do if we don't believe. The proof is what are we doing? How is our actions corresponding to our faith... So we don't cancel what God intended. I like saying it that way. That's a good way to say it. Cancel what God intended. Could God intend something that never came to pass? If you say no, you don't know your Bible. I sought for a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge so that I wouldn't destroy the land. God's will was clear. I didn't want to destroy it. But I found none. What's he saying? I wanted to do this, but their prayer stopped what I intended. Jesus could not do. Jesus! 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 How many of you know Jesus was God manifest in the flesh? All powerful? Nothing was impossible for him. Could not do many miracles in his hometown except for a few because of their what? Unbelief. See, we have to understand if we are going to have staying power, we need to have actions that correspond with our faith. That's how he said, Joshua, uh, Moses said to Joshua, listen, I'm going up high, I'm going to airstrike this thing. You're going down low, you're going to ground troops this thing. If prayer is the airstrike, then our actions are the ground troops. If prayer is how we take out the things that cannot be humanly changed, that works is how we accomplish. What can be humanly done by putting, sometimes you've got to step out. And if you don't, all of what God wants remains held up. Prayer, prayer, staying power. Last thing I want to share with you today. If you're going to have staying power, you need to remember your rod, You need to remember your rod. What does it say? Exodus chapter 17 verse number 9. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill and fold my hands with the staff of God in my hands. In other words, Moses said, I'm going up and I'm bringing the rod of God. What was the rod of God to Moses? It was where God Taught Moses his power. Moses first learned about the rod of God or the staff when he was a shepherd. Tending his father in law Jethro's sheep. Never underestimate what you learn about the power of God while you are in service. The people that never become are the people who try to usurp when they are in service. Some people don't understand that God puts us in service so we can learn what submission is. Oh, I'm preaching real good right now. Don't let me come for you. I'm coming right to your row right now, right where you at. Because some people don't know what it is to be supportive. Instead, they want to usurp instead of understanding what they learned through submission. And Moses' first lesson of the power of God was that the power of God comes as we are submitted to God. And if we cannot, oh my God, if we cannot submit to men who we can see, how can we submit to God who we can't see? He learned the power, first of all, by tending his father's sheep, father-in-law's sheep. He then learned the next of the power of God when God said what's that in your hand he said well uh, that's my staff God said throw it down it became a serpent he said, pick it up by the tail it became a staff again and he learned the power of God to do what's immensely uh, powerful and improbable with the staff and then God showed him his authority over all of the sorcerers in Egypt when he told him to take his staff and by his staff the ten plagues came on Egypt and the pharaohs and God showed him his mastery over creation and his mastery over human governments and his mastery over power with his staff and then God used that same staff to show him his power when he said, point it toward the Red Sea. And he pointed it toward the Red Sea. And God made a road in the ocean. It taught him his power. And then God showed him his power one more time when he s- struck the rock with the staff and out came water. And Moses says to Joshua, we are getting ready to become a nation. I'm going to go pray and I'm bringing the rod, the staff of God with me. What am I telling you? Never leave your past outside of your prayer closet. Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. Never leave your past outside of your prayer closet. But pastor, the Bible says forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forth toward that which is before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm supposed to forget what is behind me. You're supposed to forget that which is negative behind you. But you should never forget the goodness of God. You should always proclaim the goodness of God. And every time you go into your prayer closet, you ought to go in with everything that God has done for you in your life. You ought to remember His goodness. You ought to remember how He delivers you ought to remember how he saved you you ought to remember how he freed you you ought to remember how he answered prayer in your life you ought to bring into your prayer closet every bit of your past you ought to enter into his gates with thanksgiving in his courts with praise the way that you break through you should bring your past in your rod don't forget your rod Bring it in, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. That's how you have staying power. Sometimes it's amazing how many things we forget. How many things we forget when we pray. They just came through the Red Sea, y'all. I mean, could you imagine if I if I was Moses and I had that staff and, and I God supported toward the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted? People messing me up, be like, look at the staff right here, I'm gonna get you right there. Just back up right now, cause me, me and God, we got something going on. I mean, could you imagine the kind of power? kind of faith that you would have if you saw God do what they did. And Moses said, there ain't no way I'm going into prayer forgetting what God has done because this enemy thinks he's smart. This enemy thinks he's strong. Joshua, you go on the battlefield and you fight with men and you fight with the sword. I'm going up to the hilltop and I'm going to fight with what God has done. I'm going to bring him everything that he's ever done. I'm going to go before the Lord say God thank you for doing this and God thank you for doing that and God thank you for showing up here and when I remember the goodness of God and all he's done for me God is going to come through again don't let time steal your fight I want to close with this story it's the story of two setters hunting dogs and a little bulldog. And this evangelist, uh, he decided to buy two setters. And they were good bird dogs. And he put them in the backyard and they would hang out there. And then one day, this little tiny bow-legged bulldog comes snorting down the alley. And crawls underneath the fence. And the evangelist was watching this. And he thought, well, maybe I should just pull off my dogs before they kill this little bulldog. But then he decided, I'm just going to let Mother Nature take its course. And so that bulldog started fighting with them setters. and They fought and fought, went round and round, and the setters tore up that bulldog. And when that bulldog finally had enough, that bulldog scurried back underneath the fence. For a few days, it was licking its wounds and whimpering. Next week, same time, same day. Here come that little bulldog again, snorting. Scurried up underneath the fence. Started fighting with them setters again. Same thing happened. Setters gave a whoop down. I mean, just tore that little bulldog up. That bulldog, when it had enough, went back underneath the fence, down the alley, licking its wounds. Evangelist had to go away on some meetings and came back and he said to the wife, he said, said, honey. How did everything work out with that bulldog? She said, you're never going to believe what happened. Vance said, what happened? He said, every Tuesday, let's say it was, 9 o'clock, here came that bulldog. Skirt underneath the fence. They went round and round and round. At the same time, same outcome. But then one day, when our setters heard that bulldog coming, they just whimpered and ran into the basement. Now that bulldog walks around our backyard like he owns the place. What happened? What happened? What happened? The setters were stronger, but the bulldog lasted longer. Can I tell you, sometimes you may feel like you're outmanned, outnumbered, outgunned. Sometimes you may even have to lick your wounds along the way. But can I tell you the secret to prevailing in any battle is to keep on coming. Keep on coming with a bulldog tenacity. Keep on coming with a bulldog faith. Keep on coming with the Word of God. Keep believing that your Father can do anything. Never, 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 never give up. I'll tell you what, I've decided long ago that I'm going out in faith. I'm never going to quit. I'm going to go to the end. If I lose along the way, I'm going to go back, get some rest, get some prayer partners. They're going to hold up my hands for a little while, but I'm coming back again. And the more I keep coming back, God is eventually going to show up in this place. Staying power. Staying power. Would you stand to your feet? Staying power. It's not who wins the battle It's who wins the war I want to pray with you right now If you're tired If you're emotionally drained This prayer is for you If the outcome is not worth the energy Even though the outcome is the will of God And you're ready to throw in the towel This prayer is for you if you fought long and are ready to give up this prayer is for you Father we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus and Father right now I prophesy a fresh wind a second wind over your people I prophesy over your people that their strength is being renewed. I prof- prophesy over your people that they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. I prophesy over your people that their latter days will be better than their former days. I prophesy over your people that the word of God would be their foundation. I prophesy a strength from heaven. I prophesy the help of the Holy Spirit. Father, right now I speak that their help comes from above that it's strengthens them. I prophesy that they will not quit. I prophesy that they will stay with it until they see your salvation. Lord, I prophesy that you will show up. I prophesy that when they call on your name and continue to call on your name until, Lord, they see the outcome that they will see your salvation and give glory and honor to your name. Father, I pray for testimonies that would come through and manifest. Father, I prophesy a second wind over your people in the mighty name of Jesus every head bowed and every eye closed if you're here today and you don't know where you stand with Jesus you can't call on him who you don't, don't know how shall they know except a preacher Jesus came to save your soul the only time that Jesus will ever answer a prayer for somebody or ever I should say it like this is obligated by his word to answer a prayer for somebody who is apart from the family of God is the day you call on him to be your savior that opens it up to everything else if you're here today you don't know if you're right with God you don't know if you would have died this moment or this second where you would spend eternity Jesus wants to save your soul With no one looking around to say pastor I don't know if I'm right with God today I need to get right with him but no one looking around if that's you just put your hand up I want to pray with you God bless you sir God bless you ma'am is there anybody else pastor today I don't know if I'm right with God but I want to get right with him hold it up high I won't embarrass you I promise you God bless you over here in the front is anybody else pastor today I want to give my life to Jesus I want to get right with him amen and amen you can put your hands down let's pray this prayer everybody praying out loud for the benefit of those that surrender to Christ that moment say this out loud with me heavenly father I repent of my sins I turn from them I ask you to forgive me, to wash me and cleanse me, to make me new, to make me your child. Not because of my goodness, but because I put my faith right now in Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe He died for me on the cross. I believe He was resurrected from the dead so that I can have new life today. I ask you to receive me as your child. I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give God a great big praise in this place?